John 9, 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And that is the word of God. Good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you today. Um, And before I jump into John chapter 9, everybody say John 9. That's where we're going to be today. Um, I want to talk to you about what's going on right now in this country and in this state once again. Because uh, Tuesday, did you know anything's going on? Little vote. Um, the, uh, regardless of what happens Tuesday, we have the same king. And who we are in the midst of it says more about us than anything else. So yes, I encourage you to go vote. Um, you've seen a lot of information. If you were already here at the very beginning of the service, or at least prior to the service, there was a video from me about Proposal 3 again. We have information about that because of what it does to parents and what it does to families and even life, of course. Um, so please vote no on Proposal 3. I'll tell you that. That's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. God loves every life, so we love every life. Amen. Um, and that means we have to care for them. That's why I love the fact that in this church, how many people foster and adopt and those things like that because we're doing everything we can to care for the people around us. Um, and I want to say thank you for that, but also ask you to be praying um, for our political leaders. Um, I pray for them all. It doesn't matter what party they're with for me. It shouldn't for you. You pray that they encounter God every single day. That's our posture as a church. It's the right, it's a biblical posture. And so knowing all that's going on on Tuesday, can we take some time, can, I, can we pray? Um, I'm, I said, can we pray as though it's a question. I'm praying. Um, let's pray together. God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I give you thanks that regardless, we give you, we give you worship. No matter what's going on in our world, and even on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, regardless of what takes place, God, we are going to glorify and magnify the name of Jesus Christ, the one true Son of the living God. And so may our postures demonstrate that we have hope, and we have peace, and we have comfort, and we have joy, no matter what's happening around us, because we know, God, that you can use all things for your glory. And so may we, as your church, as your body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we walk forth out of this place today reflecting your goodness. We are ambassadors of Christ, citizens of heaven, and we are grateful. Amen. Amen. John chapter 9, I hope you're ready. John chapter 9, I love it because it's really just one long narrative. Now, if you're new here, um, 
We're walking through John uh, chapters 1 through 10, then we're going to jump into the high priestly prayer, that's John 17, then we're going to jump into his resurrection. We're walking through John, not every chapter, but we're doing a chapter at a time, which is a lot for us. Normally, I'd probably take th- about three weeks per chapter, um, but we're walking through it to hopefully force us to speak to you in a manner in which you can take this and just go and communicate to others about it through your small group, but also through network groups, uh, which is you getting together with your sphere of influence and just saying, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about what he did in John chapter nine, John chapter seven, John chapter four, whichever one it may be. And so that's why we're walking through this right now. Um, I'll, be the, I'll tell you before I tell anybody else. Middle of January, we're starting a new series. I'm going to walk all next year, 1 Corinthians. I've never done 1 Corinthians throughout that series. So just get ready for that. You're the only service that knows it because you're the only people I like. <laughs> okay? I'm just kidding. It's, I'm kidding. Um, it's, a, it's amazing how I will hear about that. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you've known me for a long time, just get used to it at some point, right? Um, so First uh, Corinthians starting in January, and uh, who knows wh- when we finish that, maybe before Jesus returns, don't know yet. Um, John chapter no- 9, though, is, is really remarkable because it is just a narrative. It, here's a story, and I'm going to try to give it to you as easy as I can. That's the goal, is to give it to you in a way in which you can take it to other people. That's what we're trying to do. Right? My goal as a pastor is not to make sure you know how much I know, it's to make sure that you know Jesus. And so understanding that, we get to unpack John 9. Now let me give you a little synopsis or a summary of John 8. Get ready to write some stuff down. I'm going to give you four or five things that, um, from last week that we found that Jesus did in John 8 that lays the groundwork for John 9. All right, now throughout, one of the most thematic things that we discover in the book of John is the contrast between light and darkness. All right, there's a, there's a constant play on words. In fact, we know that last, last week in John chapter 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. All right, so that's what he's saying. I am the light of the world. And there's this contrast between dark and light, dark and light. And it's always there. It's a theme woven throughout the book of John. And in John 8, he begins by calling out with this woman who's brought she's brought before Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. We know that all she is is bait. Remember this? You're all like, yeah, yeah, we know all this, right? Okay. Um, And so as a result of that, what he does is he uses this woman who's caught in adultery to call out the religious leaders for their own sin. He says, hey, listen, the first one of you who has no sin can be the first to throw a stone. Of course, all of them have sin and they know it. And so they all walk away. How many stones were thrown at the woman? None, because they all had sin. How many of you love being called out for your own sin, right? Not, not a lot of fun. Well, that's exactly what Jesus ends up doing right away. He then says, as I mentioned previously in John chapter 8, verse 12, hey, guess what? I'm the light of the world. He lets them know that freedom is found in trusting in Jesus. And he's like, listen, guys, you're slaves to the world. And not only that, he then lets them know in John chapter 8, by the way, guys, this is a horrible way to host Thanksgiving dinner. He tells them they're offspring of Satan. Like, can I encourage you not to go down that road Thanksgiving? Turkey will be flying everywhere, right? But that's what he does. He's like, hey, listen, you're all sinners. You're living according to the ways of the world. Don't you know that I'm the light of the world? And not only that, but you're offspring of Satan. This is what's taking place right now. And then he claims to be God. Why? Because they were blind. Everybody said the word blind. They were blind. 
And so in John chapter 9, what he does, he's going to use a physical revelation about blindness, the physical, to reveal to them and to teach them about the spiritual revelation of blindness. All right? And it's something for all of us to be able to learn from. So he begins in John chapter, and I'm going to give you four parts to this chapter. Now, I don't know a lot of theologians who's going to be like, oh, that's exactly how I would do it. That's okay. Um, but I'm going to give you one, uh, John chapter 9, 1 through 7 is just the story. So this is part one. This is for you to walk out and say, well, John 9, first you have this story. This is an amazing story. And you tell the story. This is the story. And then everything else follows that. He says this, and he passes by. He sees a blind man from birth. From what? All right. And so his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered him. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, we're going to unpack verse 2 and 3 very briefly in a second because it is really crucial for us to understand this. But it says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So now he's calling that out again. Now, verse 2 and 3. The disciples look at this guy. He's like, hey, listen, here's this blind man. Who sinned, his parents, or did this man sin? This is important. We, we know that in Genesis, we have creation, and then we have the fall. Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. The fall comes in Genesis chapter 3. So now, there's an, it's an assumption that, hey, everything that's wrong with the world comes as a byproduct of sin. And that's a, that's a good assumption, right? And we know this. But here in this passage, even though Genesis, Genesis 3 is the fall and sin is introduced, sin messes up. And just know this, sin messes up everything. It messes up our relationships. It messes up how we work. It messes up all types of selfishness, the issues that we have, all these other things. It's why we have addictions to other things because we don't know how to find fulfillment in Christ. And sin was introduced and it messed up absolutely everything. And the understanding, this understanding was that all human suffering stems from sin. That's how they thought about everything. And so they want to know if this man sinned or if, if his parents sinned. And they want an explanation. Now, know this. Sin of the past, you, please make sure you know this. The sin of your past does not always equate to suffering in the present. Why? Because Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Right? He's like, it's neither. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples wanted to know the cause, who to blame, and Jesus answered with telling them the purpose. Wanting to know, and this is going to be on the screen, you got it, you got this, write this one thing down. This will help you in life for all of it, okay? Wanting to know what or who to blame for difficulty can blind us from seeing how God can use difficulty. And sometimes when things don't go our way and things aren't, you know, they're, they're hard and they're difficult and all these other things are happening around us, we can step in and be like, well, I just blame God for this. My marriage is falling apart. And we don't understand that God can use difficulty. And sometimes, you know what? Our sin does have consequence, by the way. Amen. Anybody have kids trying to teach that too? Well, why don't I get to play my Xbox this year? Well, right? 
because you have your Xbox is an addiction for you. Right? I can't tell you how technology today has become an addiction for children and we let it. It's no different than alcohol. If that's what you run to or obesity or anything else, whatever you rely on, that becomes an idol. And so all these other things come into play and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. You need to know that sin of the past doesn't always equate to to the suffering in the present. So Jesus is jumping in. He's like, wanting to know what or who to blame for difficulty can blind us from seeing how God can use difficulty. And we don't have a full biblical basis for always assuming and teaching that any suffering is solely being punished for sin. Because he tells them that the purpose of this blindness is to put the work of God on display. You see, the thing is, we think we're more important than we are. And we think that God is here to serve us rather than for us to give him glory. God's already served us in the giving of his son, and so now we can give him glory and serving of and using our lives to give him glory in all things at all times, no matter what, yes? But we don't process it that way. I know some of you are going through hard stuff. I know you're struggling at times. I know some of you have hard marriages and hard relationships and hard time at work, and I get it. I promise you. Anybody, anybody here ever been through any type of difficulty? Raise your hand. We get it. But God can use that difficulty for his glory. A passage for you to even run to about this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It's where Paul, thorn in the flesh, and he's talking about all these things. And he says, man, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's verse 9. For us to recognize that even in the midst of our difficulty, even in the midst of our hardship, God can use that. It's great. God reveals his power by removing difficulty and also sustaining us through difficulty. All right, you process this here. Right? God reveals his power by removing difficulty, but also by sustaining us through difficulty. Sometimes we only want the removal of rather than giving God glory in the midst of the hard. Well, in John chapter 9, he's like, listen, this has to happen right now because the day is him. He's the day. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. That means he'll no longer be present. So he's like, let's get busy. The light is here. I am the light. When we need to understand this, and he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Now, this is me being a guy and maybe younger at heart than I look because I immediately go, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. That's a lot of spit. <laughs> like, right? Like, I'm like, I'm imagining, I'm like, okay, there's a, there's, that's a lot. Like, to make mud, I, I'm like, wow. But this is God. He can do what he wants. I'm just, yes, sir. Um, so he said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Now, right away, they're not going to like that he's doing this because it's on the Sabbath. And the word mud here, um, it translates to dough, and you can't knead dough on the Sabbath. And so now they're all upset that he's doing this on the Sabbath, right? They end up ignoring the power and the miracle of God because they're like, oh, but he didn't do it the right way. So much arrogance and so much pride. So he says these things, he spits on the ground. 
Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed. He is going to be healed by Jesus. He is sent to the pool and now he is going to be sent to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. If you have ever encountered the light of the world, every single one of you, if you've ever professed that Jesus is Lord, anybody out there says Jesus is Lord? Yeah, I'm concerned for about 80% of you. It's kind of weird that that many of you came to church. Any of you who have encountered the light of the world, you have a requirement of now you, you are sent into the world. And it, can, it doesn't mean across the world like Pastor Nathan going to the Philippines. It can literally mean to your work or to your school or to your, your comrades, your friends, whatever that sphere of influence is for you. But we are now all sent to reflect his glory. On Tuesday, we are sent to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. On Wednesday, we are sent to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever until his return or until we die physically. We give glory to God. That is our responsibility, and we exalt his name. And so here comes this guy who goes to this pool of Siloam, which means sent, and now he will later then be sent out. So he went, he washed, he came back seeing. That's the story, part one. Now, eight through 12, I would give it part two, and I would just call it questions. So you have the story, and then people start asking questions. This man who had been blind from birth, he's made well, and they're like, what's going on? So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, so these are people who they could give testimony to the fact that he is a beggar and that he was blind. They're like, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And they're like, it's he, yeah. Others said, no, but I guess he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. It's like they didn't listen to him. That's me, that's me, that's me, Hello. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? And he's like, listen, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went, washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. I've never seen him. (laughs) As soon as that came out, I thought, this is what I thought, Jim Jeffrey, if you know him. (laughs) My friend, Pastor Jim Jeffrey, would be so proud of that pun right now. And he's like, I've never seen him, but they started asking. Now, part three is 13 through 34. So I go from story, I go story, then I go, they start asking questions. But then, friends, it's okay to ask. Have you ever heard that there is no such thing as a, as a dumb question? That's wrong. <laughs> there are dumb questions. I'll just go ahead and tell you. However, it's okay to ask dumb questions. Um, but they, it's okay to ask God questions and try to ask questions about faith. That's a good thing, friends. Hear me say, that's a good thing. But when sometimes questions move to interrogation, because when, and when questions go from uh, move to interrogation, it's because you're not satisfied until you get the answer you want rather than what is truth. You hear me? This is, this is important. Some of you have questions about God and about Jesus. That's okay. But some of you actually don't have a heart to receive because you're interrogating until you get the answer you want. You don't actually want the truth. Do you process this, yes? Those are your neighbors, by the way. That's why I'm making sure you get this. There are some who want to ask questions. There are other people who want to interrogate. And here's this guy who's interrogating. And they just keep going. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. It was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. The story never changes. It's just not complicated. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he, he does not keep the Sabbath. I love it. There is a miracle standing in front of them. They don't recognize the miracle. They recognize that the guy didn't do it the way they think it should be done. Do you know how much arrogance there is in such posturing? I think sometimes we're no different. We're like, God, this is what I want you to do. To think you know the best way for God to work is one of the most arrogant statements and thoughts that you can have. You are not God. There is one true God. We get to serve him. We would grow exponentially if we would take ourselves off of the podium that we have put ourselves on and put Jesus back in his rightful place. We are slaves of the almighty king. It is not the other way around. And they don't get this. They want him to do everything exactly the way that they want him to do it. And so because he doesn't do it on the Sabbath, because he went made some mud and it was on the Sabbath. They said, oh, that's kneading because he didn't do what they wanted in the way in which they wanted. They ignored a miracle of God. What miracle are you not seeing because God simply hasn't done it the way you expect? I'm riled up today. It was, it was seven something. It was daylight. I was so happy. I could see. see. And some of you just got that. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, where did you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received it. So his parents just come into play. It's verse 18 before we actually get to the parents coming onto the scene. They're onto the scene only in verse 18. Why? Because he was a beggar and beggars didn't have the support of the family and everything else that they really needed. And so they lived often by themselves in a particular place. People would get to know them. And so his parents, whom he was not probably living with, they finally get brought into the picture. This is part of the interrogation, right? So they've been, the Pharisees have been interrogating the man. Now they're going to interrogate the parents. The parent says, listen, they called the parents of the man, received the sight, asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that, that, our, that this is our son and that he was born blind. That's what they acknowledge. This is our son. He was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. That was their way of saying, he's of age, we don't wanna deal with this because we're afraid of what our answer will be and how much trouble we'll get in. Cowards. That's, that's what this is about. He will speak for himself, they say. And it says, verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Sometimes our own fear keeps us from seeing the truth and acknowledging the one true God. But what are they going to say about me? What if they don't like me anymore? What if they make fun of my dress? Or what if they make fun of my pants? Or what if they don't give me the job promotion? What they, listen, I don't care what happens in this world. Everything is worth declaring Jesus for. Like, we got to get that posture, friends. We can't let fear drive the day. We have a hope that is an anchor for the soul. So 
So they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they knew that, man, if they didn't profess appropriately what was going to happen, they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. They get kicked out of the synagogue. That's a reflection on their entire family. What are we going to do? So therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They're like, we're kind of out of this whole thing. We know he's our son. We know that he was born blind. He can see now. Okay. But we don't know how. We don't want to respond. They stepped away from it. Some of you are stepping away from the very thing that God has called you to step into. What is it? And you're doing it, why? Why are you stepping out of it? Because of fear. They feared the Jews. And some of you are stepping out of certain things that God has called you to step into because of fear. And this guy, one of the the things here that I, I just really want to encourage you with, Sometimes we don't have the conversations that we need to have because we're afraid of not having the right answer. Has it, have anybody ever been in that way? You're like, man, I'm afraid to have a conversation because I don't have the right answer. Anybody? Raise your hand. That's like all of you, unless you're like, hello, I'm just brilliant. We can, ha- we can sometimes not have the conversation we need because we don't have the answer. That didn't keep this man from speaking about what he encountered. You don't have to have all the answers. You only have to speak of the story that you have of Jesus working in your life. Hear me say this. Let me, let's, let's just let this be encouragement. You don't have to have all the answers. You simply have to have a story to tell about how Jesus has worked in your life. Holy Spirit can do the rest. You don't have to have all the answers. Say, I don't have to have all the answers. Say, I have a story to tell. That's all you got to do. Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? I know that I was broken. I was always striving for things that never brought fulfillment. And then I encountered Jesus Christ. And the more that I've surrendered to him, the more I have peace and hope. No matter how many clouds are outside, I have the light of the world inside. And I celebrate him and I have his hope for eternity. Isn't that cool? Yeah, but what about this? Man, that's a great question. Can I get back to you on that? Let me look at some stuff and I'll bring something back to you. Have the conversation. Jesus is always worth speaking about. He doesn't have all the answers, but he has a story to tell. And what we also recognize here from this guy is that suffering and controversy, suffering and controversy reveals, exposes the condition of our heart. I think these parents, their hearts were just revealed. They had some controversy step in, like, oh, what are we going to do? Let's step away. We're, we're out. But the man, you, you learn the condition of his heart because he stepped in. He said, I can just tell you what I know happened. I was blind, now I see. This man over there did it. His name is Jesus. So for the second time, they called this man. They still, they just wanted their, they wanted their answer. They did not want truth. Because what do they do in verse 24? They bring him back again. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They just keep saying, so they said to him, what did he do to you? And he opened, how did he open your eyes? He answered him, I've already told you. You wouldn't listen. 
And then it says in Greek, hey, dum-dum. <laughs> they, they weren't concerned with the truth. They were concerned with getting the answer they wanted so they wouldn't have to change. Some of you are more concerned about getting the answer you want so that you don't have to be transformed, yet we know that transformation is a continual and not a one-time you just keep growing and keep growing and you keep growing. And some of you are like, well, I already know enough. You will never know enough about God. You'll never have enough of God. He is so amazing and so wondrous. But you just want to get your answer so that you don't have to change anymore. And it just it doesn't work that way. Say, I've already told you this over and over again. What, why do you want to hear it again? You also want to become his disciples? Snap, he just said that. <laughs> like now this man's getting a little, a little, just I would say sassy, saucy, salty, something, right? I look at this, like he's just like, I've already told you this over and over again. This is the answer. You just don't like the answer. As a result of saying this, verse 28 says, and they reviled him saying, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man said to him, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, even this guy, who, by the way, I'm about to tell you something. Jesus healed a non-believer. He's not of faith right now. He just knows what happened to him. He doesn't come to faith until later on when he says, yes, Lord, I believe. Yet he knows what happened. He did, and, and don't be all shocked. He did it in John chapter 5 too. Healing of the man at, at the pool of Bethesda. He just walks up. He doesn't say, do you want to believe? He says, do you want to be made well? The guy's like, yeah, 38 years. Get up. Take up your mat. You not understanding God makes no less of God. We say, he says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So he, what he's saying is, we know this guy's from God. Why are you questioning that? He just healed me. Name one, he, I think he's looking, he's like, name one other time you saw some blind dude come, like start seeing again. They don't have an answer, right? I can see this just unfolding in front of all of them. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That's kind of what he's saying. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. So they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So now he's out of the synagogue. That was important to recognize what that would mean for him and his family and everybody associated with him. So you go from the story to part two, the questions to part three, the interrogation, and then part four. And I'll conclude with this, the man's response. And honestly, just because of everything that's about to happen, Prince, in the back, what do you have to do? We're going to be late in this service. So just whatever you guys have to do. Is that okay? You can't really say no, I'm going. <laughs> Remember, he really had not seen Jesus before. He hasn't seen physically Jesus before, but he knew what had happened to him. He, had not, he didn't have to see Jesus physically to know the power of Jesus. It is no different for us today. But he believed and he told the story. This is what Jesus did for me. 
So they kick him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus, verse 35, he steps back into the picture. And Jesus steps in and he's like, hey, listen, he, he heard that he had been cast out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Right? Do, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You have seen him now. It is he who is speaking to you. Oh, I can't wait for that day. The man's response. Lord, I believe. Everybody say, Lord, I believe. believe. Say it again. Do you believe in the power of Jesus Christ? The religious leaders didn't believe him. His families didn't support him. He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He sees Jesus for the first time. Jesus says, I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. Don't you know? And he says, I believe. This man has actually been healed twice in this chapter. He was healed first physically. And then more importantly, he was healed spiritually. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world that those who do not see, some of you currently do not see spiritually. But he came into the world for those who do not see so that they would see. And those who see may become blind. Some of you think that you have all the answers, but yet you have no faith in Christ. And you see physically, but spiritually you keep running into walls. Your nose hurts, right? And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And both of the healings I've mentioned today, in John chapter 9 and also John chapter 5, one of the things I love, um, Jesus is taking the initiative. There are certainly stories where you have people coming to Christ and, will you heal me? Messiah, will you heal me? But in both of these, Jesus takes the initiative and he goes to these individuals and he says, hey, guess what? I can heal you. And I believe that through his death and resurrection, he's now coming to each of us and he's saying, hey, guess what? He's taking the initiative. I can make you see spiritually. There's certainly some lessons to learn as we do conclude here today. One lesson to learn is to look for how God can use difficulty rather than blaming God for difficulty a pretty big lesson to learn we can learn to boldly confess our faith to all people regardless of their acceptance 
Can I invite you um, type in or write up Mark 8, 38? He says, I love hearing all those pins. Thank you. Like, that's in my heart eager to learn. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me, oh, I will not be ashamed. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory? Another lesson we learn is to openly worship regardless of the fear of man. This man was a beggar. Anybody had any type of uh, problem with in terms of blindness or uh, a lack of being able to walk, any, any infirmity at all like that, they begged for making a living. living and they would walk, and I, I can't help it. I think this is the posture of a beggar. God, give to me what I can't do for myself. But as we close, this is what I want to invite you to do. Take your stuff, set it down. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. And I want you just to take your hands and put them out like this. Close your eyes, take your hands, put them out. We're not going to do anything weird, I promise. It's called prayer. Put them out. And just close your eyes because I want you to be at a posture just going, I want you to recognize that some of us are spiritually and physically blind but you can be made well through the power of Jesus Christ. So just pray that God will help you see more clearly his truth and his power. Pray that God would help you see more clearly what he's doing around you, that you're not ignoring it because he's not doing, doing it the way you would expect. Just be grateful that he's working and that he's moving. Pray that you won't be spiritually blind. And some of you are spiritually blind. You're still questioning who Jesus is. And I pray that right now some of you will go, you know what? I now see. And I declare that he is God. perfect, that you're eternal, and that you're the Almighty. Thank you for giving us spiritual sight so that we can see you. Amen.